A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Today I have with me um, an expert. Uh, we always bring in experts. Uh, great story, but I have with me AJ Bishop. She is um, she's actually she's a wealth management coach and consultant. She works with with uh, with people on wealth management and uh, has a tremendous history. Brings a lot to the table uh, today in her coaching practice. She focuses on helping women in wealth management. We'll talk a little bit about that, but please feel rest assured that her tools, her techniques, anybody can benefit from them. And so I think you'll find this interesting uh, because it's something we should all be focused on, you know, whatever stage we're at in our life, but being able to set ourselves up to be, um, you know, safe and, and, and as wealthy as possible, you know, as stable as possible, if nothing else, you know, for our lifetime. So uh, welcome to the show, AJ. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It's really a pleasure having you here. Um, we're, we're fortunate. Again, you know, technology allows us to do this remotely, but we've got a great connection today. So, so I, I love that we've got some clear sound. Uh, this should be a fun one for the, uh, for, for the listeners, but uh, our listeners, our regular listeners know we always start with a little bit of history. You don't just become a wealth management coach and consultant just out of the blue. You don't decide one day, oh, you know, this is the, my path. In order to have credibility, you have to be really, really, really good and you are really, really good. How did you get here? Wow, that's uh, quite the introduction and I'm grateful for it. But I always, honestly, Chris, I tell people that I come from humble beginnings. My my father was African-American. He was a pilot in the Air Force and my mother is a very strong-willed Brazilian woman and they literally just, you know, they lived the simple life. Uh, shortly after I was born, my father passed away of cancer. He was only, I think he was maybe 37, 38 years old. And so he left my mom a widow with three young girls. And she obviously coming from Brazil, she, English was her second language. And what I tell people is, is it was her vision to right come to America. It was her vision to have a better life for us girls that I candidly and honestly am so wholeheartedly um, so grateful for because without that vision, I'm obviously not sure where I would be in life. But I grew up in Clinton, Utah, of all places. And where, for where's Clinton, you, Utah? Yeah. So Clinton, Utah is about 35 minutes north of Salt Lake City. And it's right by the Air Force Base. And at the time when I remember being right early 80s, it was really kind of like a little farm town. There wasn't much further west of where we lived. I would ride my bike through the cornfields and, you know, it was just simple, simple living in a lot of ways. We, I, I've always considered myself a tomboy. If I even look back when I, all my friends were boys and that's just really all I had in the neighborhood. But my mom, she was determined to ensure that, right, I was a strong, independent woman. I remember her blatantly multiple times telling me how important it was to have my own wealth in a way, right? She didn't use the word wealth, but to have my own money. And, you know, we grew up very simply because my mom had only been a cook. She went to maybe the second or third grade. Her family is all in the favelas of Brazil. So 
she had she knows and my family knows what poverty true poverty looks like and so going to college was a non-negotiable and i just always tell people and i tell right like my friends i i knew i wanted to go to college but I was actually a very artistic and expressive individual. I loved to dance as a kid. I I thought I was going to be Whitney Houston, Chris. I would sit in the bathroom and I would dance to her songs and I would sing. And I just loved how she represented this exotic looking woman, right, with so much power, but yet this grace. And as a young girl growing up in Utah, for those of you who don't know, Utah is... Um, currently, I, re- I recently read, it's currently 93% white. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not exactly the most diverse place in the world. That's, it's that's not, for sure. It's not. So a lot of people didn't look like me, including my mother. So my mother has a very Brazilian look to her. She looks, you know, and I remember being a kid and I would get lost in the grocery store and people would think I was abandoned because there was no other, you're right, there were no other black women in the room so or inside the store. So it was always this sense that I was the only one, right? Like I, I would say if there's a theme throughout my, my entire history is that I often felt like I was the only one. And the theme of being the only one really shapes my story. It shapes who I am. It shapes all of the good, all of the bad. And I, I pride myself in a lot of ways, right? I call myself a trailblazer. I've been called a trailblazer, but I also would say that on the dark side of that, it caused me to learn to not really embrace who I am a hundred percent. And so what that looked like was right in my teenage years, I was very popular, right? Despite the fact that I was the only one, I was very popular. I was a cheerleader, I was the senior class president, and what I did really well was float around to different groups. So I had, right, my friends who were good kids. I had, right, my choir friends. I had cheerleading friends. I had dance friends. But this adaptability and this uh, this, uh, this way to be a chameleon in a way was born out of being the only one. And when I was young, it was just all about not sticking out. Like I, I did not want to stick out. I did not want to be seen as being different. And so when I got into college, I went to Purdue University. I was so excited. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm getting out of Utah. Like it's going to be so awesome. There's going to be all these diverse people. And for those of you who don't know, Purdue University is in West Lafayette, Indiana, which does have diversity in the sense that it is an international college, right? Great engineering program, great aerospace, and it's not a thriving metropolis, right? It's not an urban university. So when I got to college, I then again was up against, right, really this idea of finding who I was. And back then, right, finding who I was meant having a good time. Um, I've always been great at math and science. Those have always been my two favorite subjects. And I was having too much fun, Chris, and I ended up having to switch my major my junior year. And I knew that what that would cost, right? I knew the cost of me not completing college because I was a first generation college student in my family. Even my two older sisters didn't complete college was that I I couldn't let down my mom, right? Like she had had this vision and dream. It's an important aspect 
to success. I have had too many friends who are just not passionate about their work and they struggle and, they, and, and they'll say things like, well, you know, well, I had that idea before they came up with it. Yeah, but you didn't do anything about it. Or, or you'll hear, you'll hear things like, you know, I just can't wait to get home and have a cocktail or this or that or whatever. And they might be good at what they do, but are they successful? I mean, how, how do you define success? Happy, happiness has to be a part of it. And I don't know how you can be happy if you're not passionate about, you know, what you're doing. Well, Chris, it's really interesting that you say that because I was not happy for a long time and I was not passionate about what I did. I remember uh, what would happen is I would move a lot, right? Like I would, I would move to create the happiness. I would move to get the things. And right before my 30th birthday, when I was still married, I remember getting to at the time, what felt like the peak of my career was married. We were living on a golf course, right? We had the cars, we had the things and all the people around us, right? Our age were just getting started in their careers. And here I was the breadwinner first. Um, my ex-husband's an archaeologist for the park service. Uh, I was the breadwinner and we had a lot of money and yet we, we couldn't keep it. We couldn't keep it. And it's because I was not happy internally, right? I had spent, as I shared my entire life up until I was 30, trying to be someone else or trying yeah. to fit in or trying to do the right thing. So were you trying to buy happiness? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I, I was so all about, because I was so convinced that that's what it was, right? To me, success before my 30s was it's money, it's status, it's power, and I wanted all of it. Mm-hmm. And now what is success? So success to me is relationships, it's connection, yeah. it's community, it's experiences. And I had to pay the ultimate price to actually experience that. So when my, when my ex-husband and I got divorced, after we paid everything off, I had $500 in my account. I gave him, I gave him everything that I could because I knew, right? Like I, I, I innately have always known I'm good at making money. I know I can create it. Like I know I can do any job in the world because I have, (laughs) And I know I can make good money doing it. But with my ex-husband, I was so worried about him, um, again, always the caretaker, making sure he was set up for success. So I gave him the majority of the money, what was left in our accounts. And I remember moving to Seattle. I had just gotten another promotion with $500 in my account. And I felt so shameful, right? Like I was hiding this. Everyone knew I got divorced, but they didn't know my financial situation. Yeah, divorce and and paying for it, but you know, I I, I commend you for for taking that. I mean, divorces can be ugly, the splits can be tough, but um, you know, obviously, you know, your confidence in your future um, allowed you to do you know do something nice for him, maybe your parting thing, and and we won't go into the details of of that. Uh, it's too far off topic, but but um, but it does again influence who you are, and and. You know, I, I think, again, taking a look at how you define success today, these are all lessons that got you to that point. So, you know, part of your story that the audience doesn't know about, but I found particularly interesting, is that as you grew, and though you may not have had a passion for the work itself, the, the product that you were working on, you were still the relationship piece of it had to be at least the part that was a little satisfying. But, but the thing is, is sometimes people can be really excellent. 
and be really, really good at what they do, recognized for it, paid and paid well for it, but they're not happy. You know, a friend of mine who's an attorney, he's a great attorney. And, you know, in a way, one time he told me he keeps raising his rates because once people stop paying for him, that'll be the time to retire. I mean, you know, so like you, he was thinking about the money and that's how he's measuring things. But but the poor guy was never happy when we talk. I mean, you know, and it wasn't until he finally stopped doing that and got into something he had more of a passion for that I started seeing a different person come out, the old, the, the old friend that I used to have. And, you know, you found yourself in your history that, that you were really good at what you did internally you know, and you kept getting promoted for it. And you found yourself in, in what I would say, um, you know, really different situations, situations that could have shaken people's confidence. And yet, I don't think you, you maybe you let it get to you. So maybe you'll share that part of the story, but maybe you didn't because you still pushed through. Um, share some of those stories with the clients or the clients. Here I am talking now like a business with, with our, with our you're, listeners. You're, yes. Yeah, I would say that the one thing that I knew I loved about the job was the connection and the relationship, right? Whether that was me speaking at a women's event to me speaking to the financial advisors on my team, or by the time usually the client got to me, they weren't happy. They were always upset. Something had gone wrong. And I always found excitement in being able to get really clear with that individual and create a solution together. And so in a lot of ways, that's how I always approached my way of leadership, right? I remember my first time I became a manager, I was just turning 29, I believe, in the investment industry. I was covering Northern Arizona. And sometimes it would take me four hours to get to just one one person on my team and small town Arizona, right? And I remember sometimes because my name is AJ, right? And it's just an assumption, right? Oh, it's a man, (laughs) right? First it's AJ. So they think it's a man and then I'd show up and then it was me, right? This 28, um, you know, black girl, it was like the the jaws would drop literally there. There were multiple times where that would happen or I'd walk into a meeting, I'd be introduced and the client or my colleague or someone would be like, wait, what? I'm, I'm confused. Where's AJ? This is AJ, right? But I always got a kick out of that, right? I didn't see it as anyone's fault in a way, because ultimately that's what where I see the best in people is we are all just doing the best that we can with what we were given. Mm-hmm. So if you grew up in the South and right, you weren't exposed to people of color or if you weren't exposed to women or right, you're, you know, it just, at the end of the day, I just have this empathy and I have this ability to connect with people who look and sound nothing like me. And that was always the joy, right? Like that was always the fun part. And that's where the success came. It wasn't in my team always being in the top 10 because they were, but I, I just always was looking for how can I connect with people and find our similarities versus looking at why we're different. Yeah, you know, um, I really I love what you just said about it wasn't about being in the top 10, but we always were. Uh, it's, it's really funny, but sometimes I think people focus on the wrong thing. You know, sometimes if you focus too much on a specific result, you never achieve it. 
because you miss the things that can get you there. But if you focus on the right things, you'll get there. So, you know, an old an, an, an old um, adage from Confucius, he once said, you know, uh, you know, do a job you love and um, you'll, you know, never work a day in your life. Right. And there was a book at one point, I don't know the author, but it was like, um, you know, uh, you know, work the job you love and um, the money will follow. Right. And so, it's, I can't tell you how many times I've known people who get so focused on the end dollar and they might achieve that end dollar, but how they got there, they miss so many important things. But if they focus on really what their measurement of success, what their measurement of wealth is. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. Now let's hear from Meg Nasiro. So walking you down the journey, that's amazing because a lot of my book is about the El Camino of life, right? The walk of life. So the journey began for me. I come from a very wonderful Italian-American family. That is probably where I want to start because that's where I'm most proud to know where I came from because, you know, they say on the shoulders of giants, you see further. I definitely grew up in a family of giants for sure. Um, My parents were amazing or are amazing people. My mother was, she passed away in um, April of 2011, but bottom line, they took a risk, left New York, came to Florida and Orlando. My father started a cardiology practice there. And basically that's where my two sisters and I were educated and grew up. And then the sky was the limit. My parents were always, you know, encouraging us to figure out what our passions were. So um, I got my Boston College undergraduate degree, and then I came back to Orlando and moved to Miami and got my graduate degree in international studies, and then I went and got my law degree. So where I am today has a lot to do with the education that I was able to attain and build confidence upon, and obviously, you know, the whole writing process now is just playing with words. I speak four languages, so I was always like, I have to break barriers to have those conversations because I like to talk a lot. So, you know, with you, I'm going to have no problem. 
problem talking because you're so delightful already. I, I know it. But the bottom line is that I didn't want anybody to tell me I couldn't do something. And certainly if I got a grasp on a certain language that would open doors for me. So that was what I did in undergrad. I was a romance language major and it's helped me in Miami. I, you know, everyone speaks Spanish here. So certainly that's been a plus. Okay. So four languages, English, obviously. So Spanish, you just <laughs> said Italian. I'm going to guess because the family, what's the fourth? So I speak French. I oh. speak French. And, you know, it's funny because I don't speak it well, but I speak it so I won't get lost in the world. And when I practice it enough, like I've always been told that when you try and people appreciate that. So I will do my best to get the grammar right, but I will definitely reach out in the native tongue. And when people make fun of me, I'm just like, eh, at least you can understand me. So, you know, bottom line, I, I mean, I will not embarrass myself on this show today by badgering the French language, but I do have a proficiency in it. Well, it's, it, that's probably good because my, 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 um, my grasp of the French language would be badgering it as well, unfortunately, uh, uh, though I took a number of years of it in school myself. Um, anyway, uh, you know, so, so you graduated from school, you follow this path, you, you actually, you became a lawyer, is that correct? Right, right, right. I became a lawyer. You know, it's an interesting story. Um, I graduated from my graduate program and I was looking to go into the foreign service. And my understanding, I had a dog at the time and his name was Alfredo Luigi. Okay, a good Italian name, right? And they were um, telling me that most likely you would not be able to bring your animals with you. So then I decided to go to law school. <laughs> so there you go. The path to law. I was like, well, what am I going to do now? Right? I was, it was a point in time where, you you know, I was, you know, I was trying to get the quote unquote, do the right thing and get the right education. So open the right doors. And at that point in time, I wasn't a real outside the box kind of thinker. So I was like, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. So I was like, okay, law it is. So I, I decided to go to law school. And, um, and, and that path though, took you into, um, it, it took you into kind of working, was it with the federal government? Right. Point. Yeah. So, so after I graduated from, um, well, actually during law school, I got an internship with immigration and naturalization service. And, you know, it's really interesting. I, and as you probably are as well, I'm a big networker of people. I love to connect. I'd love to have those conversations. So I basically told whoever I could get my hand on like what kind of interest I had in the world, you know, as far as jobs and locate. So someone found a flyer that said they were looking for interns for the immigration and naturalization service. They're like, this is perfect for you. Apply. I applied. I got the internship after law school. I actually waited a year because I wanted to go into, um, international relations to see whether or not that was a fit. It's all contractual. So I was like, ah, it's going to kill me. I'm not talking to people all day. I'm like sick in my office all the time. I was like, forget it. Um, so then I applied back again to INS. Like I started working there and I worked there for nearly 20 years after, after graduating from, from law school. So, you know, that is, a. I mean, certainly for, questioning and having those conversations. And, you know, I was a prosecutor for almost 20 years and I was studying body language constantly. And, you know, it's funny because everyone looks to me now and they're like, oh my God, I don't even know if I can tell the truth or not to you because you're going to pick me apart. But I, I literally don't do that to my friends. But the bottom line is, yeah, gain the skills, right? Articulate and also listen. So those were the things that I learned for that time period. And they never seem to really break out. And at least until they, they give in and somebody helps. Did you seek out help early? 
what kind of help did you receive? And, and, and was there, you know, you mentioned the one, the one um, therapist who put you kind of on the path and, and asked some positive questions, but what do you think really turned, turned it for you to, to, to start looking forward as opposed to dwelling backward? You know, I'm very blessed that I have a lot of um, inquisitive friends and one of my very dearest friends, um, Teta Malero, she and I, before my mother even got even sick, she and I started a group called Soul Sisters. It was a soul talk group where we would get together every week to come up with different topics to, you know, talk about and, and to share about. And in this essence, it really was the beginnings of coaching because we, you know, and not that one-on-one professional kind of like structured kind of experience that ICF does, um, lean its hands to. However, the, having the conversations, you know, certainly was something that helped me step out of myself to ask for help when I needed it the most. So I, one of the friends that was a part of this, she was actually getting her coaching um, certification while my mother, after my mother passed away and she was doing some pro bono credits she needed and she offered to take me through. So I did take a leave of absence from my job because I couldn't handle the grief. I was just falling apart. And she walks me through that six week process to at least get me on a solid foundation where I could see further, like I like see some light. And you know, when you're in this situation where you're experiencing a lot of darkness, it really feels dark. Mm-hmm. Like you don't see any hope. And especially if you're depressed, it says, you know, sadness without hope. And I think that when people are in that place, they think all is lost, hopelessness. And that is like the death knell for anyone. So if anyone can show up and say, but there is light and I'm going to show you, I'm going to be that spark that perhaps you can see a little bit more clearer as to what is still there for you. Then it shifts the person. And I think that's what coaching does the best is in increments and in small increments you shift someone yeah. from a point of stuck to a point of possibility so the transformation can actually start right you know so you're not you know going down you know going upstream with the water pushing you back down again you're actually saying oh but maybe if i go this direction it'll be a little bit more effortless and easy so that i can get my strength back up again and follow through and and that's ultimately what I love most about coaching is that we don't show you what to do. It's that we help you come up with a plan to help guide yourself to figure out what that is and what that looks like, what you want in your life. It's not my life because I'm not living your life. It's how you want to see your life unfold. Yeah. You know, that's, it's such an important point you just made because, um, People, you know, some, especially people in the business world, but, but the association, the word coach still has like the athletics and all this stuff. And, and, it's it sometimes people think that hiring a coach is about getting advice right being told what to do and 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 it isn't um find a mentor that's what a mentor does right mentor somebody who's walked the path before you but but coaching is such a powerful process and 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 i think today though though i think most everybody knows the term and there are a lot of people that call themselves coaches that i'm not sure if they really are based on what, how I see them work with people. But, but yeah. if we think about what pure coaching is, and that's what you're describing, it is honestly probably the, the, the best path to growth that you can have, period. Um, right. Because it is about you and yours. And, and, and the, the structures and frameworks that are given by a quality and qualified coach um, are very, very powerful. I myself have experienced it multiple times in my life. I haven't yeah. just been through coaching just you know, a couple of times in the beginning. I mean, I've, I've employed coaches on, a, on a, and off at different times for different things that I need. And I even just had one recently that was helping me out with some stuff. And it, it really 
does help you get over the finish line. Right. No, I absolutely agree. I, I, I had a business coach who was so, so pivotal for me, especially during COVID. It was so important to keep my eyes on the prize. And that was mine, my, my prize, my vision, my, and, but you know, what? I have to say something, you know, you can ask permission to share your own experience and your own wisdom. You can offer that space if that's what, if they're willing to accept sure. it, it's not, not like you keep your store. Like, it's not like, I'm not going to tell you anything I know. And you're just going to have to fumble around and just deal with everything that falls into your lap the way you are going to deal with it because I'm not, you know, here. I will offer insights where I find they're they're willing and receptive to hearing them, but I don't want anyone to live my life. I want them to live their life. And that is ultimately in any respect, like business in, you know, everything that you're dealing with life and, you know, even the grieving process It's to own your whole process and trust that if you start to be you, right, you be you, then, uh, then the world will unfold or open up to you the way you want to see it. Well, and I think that, that being able to do that can create a bridge between you and the person you're coaching. I mean, you know, successful, successful coaching relationships require some level of connection. Right. And I use a word that business doesn't like always, but, but some level of empathy, right? You know, you know, oh. you know, is there that empathetic connection that can occur? So you feel yeah. like you're talking with somebody who actually gets you and understands you. And that, that is important. That's where those stories are. And, and by the way, that's not always the case between two people. So not every right. coach is the right coach for every person, right? I mean, I, it's, it, there is, you really have to, if you're looking for a coach, you really have to find somebody who is a good match for you and you, you should be a good match for them. And if that connection is there, then the relationship, the growth, everything that, that, that the person experiences is, is exponential. Absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think, you know, it's kind of like your books, right? Yeah. I'm, my story is not for everyone, but when they align to it, if someone does align to it, then it'll speak volumes, but don't stop there. It's not like one and done. You, there's a whole vast world out there of so many different people that you can align to. So if like you are in the corporate world and you're standing in front of an audience and like, you know, wanting to speak and you're freaking out, like, you know, we were speaking about before, but the beautiful thing is when you tell yourself like my favorite one is something wonderful is always about to happen so even before we get on this conversation have this conversation today chris i'm thinking something wonderful is going to happen i'm going to learn about you i'm going to take away some insights and i got one can i share what you said to me because it's a wonderful sure. quote Okay, so this wonderful man tells me this morning, don't sweat the audience, you be you. And for me, that's huge because the, you know, that shell or that, you know, you know, that who we think we should be falls away and we can just show up authentically ourselves. So thank you, Chris, for that. That's my something wonderful today. And that's what the affirmations tools give me on a constant. Excellent. Excellent. And so, you know, again, two great books. Um, and I did want to spend some time on the book that just came out. Um, Butterfly Awakens, because this is this is a chronicle. This is a tale. And and I, and there is a, a pretty incredible story about a lighthouse. I don't want to give away any more. But, <laughs> but it, this is this is this was a, a big telling of your journey. Um, you know, can, can you share with our audience um, the, the story of Butterfly Awakens? So I will tell you this, when I was going through the darkest parts of my grieving process, I promised myself that 
When I figure out how to bring hope back into my world, instead of it staying with me, I'm going to help someone who's going through the same situation. So by telling my story, I'm hoping that I can bring light to someone else's darkness that they're walking through right now. That being said, I'm incredibly vulnerable in this book. I tell it like it is. It's my story. It's my truth. But the reality is it's terrifying to put it out there. But once again, you know, I'm going to be myself and I have to own it. And this is what I walk through. And ultimately, I did it my way. I'm totally Frank Sinatra. And that's the Italian in me to bring in that through. But the bottom line is, you know, I can look back and say no regrets because I did do it my way. And, you know, even though I, you know, it was a leap of faith, if I had stayed in fear, I would never be able to say that I can experience life in a different way. And that's what this whole tale is about transformation through grief, because the grief was the wake up call. Certainly when I lost my mother, it was not the wake up call that I wanted, but I cherish the people who are in my life today, like nobody's business as if, you know, especially after this last 18 months with COVID, like as if this experience with you, I'm here with you. I am like, in your presence, I completely am going to take in everything that you are. And there's a reason for our crossing. That's a whole Carl Jung synchronicity. So mm-hmm. I like to see the world as if nothing is a coincidence. All things are synchronistic for your highest good, like I said before. And this journey that we're walking ultimately took me on El Camino in Spain And if you guys knew who I really am, you would never imagine me walking on El Camino in Spain. And literally I told this someone the other day, I woke up with makeup on every day because I had to be able to look at myself to feel better about myself because I did not know why I was doing it at the time, but I knew I had to do it. So I'm not going to spoil the ending for everyone, but I will tell you this. One of the truths that I I have embodied now is that I'm stronger than I could ever imagined because I never thought I would ever be this strong in my life. You know, certainly not without my mother by my side. And the other is if you never give up, there's always that lighthouse at the end you get to strive for. And it becomes a daily experience It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. 
finally hear some advice from Sarah Simmons. Thank you, Chris. Lovely to be with you guys today. Oh, it's great to be with you too. Sarah is um, Sarah is a uh, well, among many things, she's 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 a coach. Um, she has a phenomenal uh, phenomenal program. Um, Your real power is you. Is 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 probably the the mile uh, or the main program that that she has among other things uh, but she's got a really really interesting story to where she got to today and she's got some stuff that can really help all of us out so um, so I, you know actually Sarah you know I always one of the things I do is I always love to start with some history um, you know tell us about yourself G- give us give us the deep story and how did you get to where you are today because because you you've become internationally renowned and internationally recognized for what you do um, you know how do you, how do you get to be an internationally recognized coach i honestly think guys it starts with your your calling within you and your purpose and your inner drive to want to make a difference that's what really has driven me for my whole career it's like the, the when my life has been easy that's when I've gone no I'm gonna make it really difficult because I've always been pursuing purpose and making a positive impact first and then money and that second so I think by pursuing my purpose first is actually what's given me the recognition internationally and the the, the reputation for being able to make a difference and then you know the money side of things came second but I've always put impact first yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, um, it, it's, it's somebody I, I, I wish I knew the philosopher that said it, but but there, you know, there is an old philosophy that says, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. And yeah. I, I think it, it ties so closely. I mean, I myself, you know, um, you know, when when I when I left Big Boy, I mean, you know, I had friends say, wow, you walked away from a huge corporate career, you know, that big salary, you know, op, you know, opportunities, all that stuff to to, you know, to do what? I mean, you know, they, back then, you know, I'm going 20 one years ago now, people didn't really even know what coaching was when we started talking about doing some of this stuff. And I was fortunate. I had a, I had a good coach myself that was helping me at that time, but I realized I was walking away because I wasn't really passionate about that business. And, you know, I stepped into a world where, you know, all of a sudden I went from a very, very high income to nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing at all. And, um, yet I had this confidence because I just was so passionate about where I was going and it's worked out. It's worked out yeah. well. So, 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 so your history though is, is really quite interesting. And I, and, and I'd love to, I'd love you to share some of it with, um, with the audience, because um, you, especially given that, that some of your background is in aspects of industry that maybe many of our listeners don't know or don't understand. So I'd like to explore some of that. So I don't want to give too much of it away, but, 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 you know, where, where did it start for you? So it started for me that my dad It always starts when you, where you, what you grew up watching around you. And my dad is a self-made entrepreneur. I really admired seeing him build things and seeing him make a difference. And he, um, the, he was the the owner of a textile manufacturing business in Yorkshire, which was a huge textile manufacturing region within the UK. And he was also within his factories, he he pushed his um, managers to be really focused on sustainability and to create sustainable manufacturing methods. And so that was, I saw my dad being a pioneer of sustainable manufacturing. And then my mum, she 
was an international fashion stylist with an excellent taste and she had great clients and I saw the positive impact that what we wear can give to us. It's really important what we wear each morning when we wake up. It really does define maybe less for you Chris but a lot for, you know no, you know I'm joking aside men and women like what you wear literally can change how you feel and I saw this with my mum's side of things and then I started to see a real uh, flare from my own self um, in being able to see what is unique in a brand, a business, a fabric, a person. And I started to be able to choose from a very young age, the winning outfit for my mom's clients and the winning fabric from my dad's textile designers. Um, what do you, what do you think is causing that? What, what, why, why is there all this pressure for us to not be ourselves? Why is that pressure to not be ourselves? I think it comes from like parents wanting you to sort of be safe. Mm. So it's like a very base level, um, very base level emotion to everyone when you were young was trying to make you the same um, and putting a lot of fear around being different or standing out. So those different sides of yourself were shamed when you were, so for example, my fear, my shame was around being powerful. Um, and I was told, don't be powerful, don't stand out, don't bring attention to yourself. And then it's the fear of not being liked or loved because you're, that was, that's what we can feel with our deepest um, parts of ourselves. It's connected to the base level of being liked and loved um, for who we really are. So we try to hide who we really are because we felt shamed, either shamed from parents or shamed from teachers or shamed from friends. And we don't actually feel, this is an interesting thing that's a side note around feelings, because many of us don't feel our feelings. We will numb our feelings out because they're really painful to feel feelings. So we, we eat a cake, we go shopping, we have alcohol, we smoke a cigarette to numb it when the feelings of shame come out or these any sort of extreme feelings come out. So we've led our lives for sort of going along this numb way of not really feeling joy, not really feeling purpose, meaningful, not really feeling shame. So we don't actually feel the positive feelings or the negative feelings. We just go in a sort of numb existence. The brilliant thing that starts to happen is when you start to allow yourself to feel those feelings because they're actually they can guide you in the right way. So when you can feel shame, you can look at why am I feeling shameful? Because what's really, I find exciting in all of this is that actually where you feel the most shame is where your real purpose lies. And where you feel the most shame is where your true unique power lies. Because also we're told to often be 
the smaller version of ourselves. And so we feel shame around being bigger. We feel shame around having big dreams, but those big dreams and those big feelings, they're really our truth and our real purpose. And so when we can guide ourselves through the shame, allow the shame, and actually, you know, a lot of our negative feelings or a lot like fear is just hiding something great. It's actually go into the fear, go into the shame, allow it, and then it's unlocking really your true purpose and your true, it's your real guide. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.